I told that didn't make it into the documentary, by the way. This is like a bonus feature here. But the actress, I believe her name is Rebecca Staub. Yeah. She yeah. played Sue Storm, Invisible Girl, and this... Let's just say that these spandex outfits left nothing to the imagination. <laughs> and there was serious camel toe that had to be touched up to put, you know, to be able to put this photo on the cover of Film Threat. I don't think she was wearing underwear. Okay, so, so in post-production, you had to... We had to touch up those photos so as not to be uh, graphic. And, and um, you know, I remember, like, we're, we're shooting this, and I'm looking, I'm going, like, I don't know, is it, this could be a problem. We're going to have to put text over that. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're going to have to cover it up in some way. So, wow. Yeah. Now, w uh, in the plot, Sue makes the outfits. Do you think that excuses their cheapness, right? They're homemade. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it is an excuse to excuse, to, you know, make, make them, you know, and that's actually right out of the comic book, by the way, mm -hmm. which I, which I thought was great. But yeah, I guess you can excuse the cheapness and yeah, she should not have been a seamstress. Yeah, Sue right. Storm <laughs> should be, you know, she should be, you know, a girlfriend who, you know, will just go away, just go away when she turns invisible and just disappear. <laughs> right? That was Kirby's attention, I'm sure. Perfect. I guess, I guess, I don't know. But I, I, you know, like, look, I was a super fan. And like the fact that, you know, I was living in a time where there was even a Fantastic Four film being made. I mean, look, yeah. you have to think, this was, this was the 90s, right? Like, the we're now living in a time, we're now living in a time where we have the luxury of complaining about the latest Disney Plus series when who knew that there'd ever be a Hawkeye show or a Boba Fett show, right? Like, it's like, now there's like so much geek stuff that it's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of crappy geek stuff now but back then it was few and far between it'd be like a couple movies a year maybe a tv show so i was ecstatic like oh my god and um yeah so so it was it was for me like it was like summer camp you know because my responsibility was you know hey i'm not making the movie right i don't right you're and i was just there as an observer to do a story about it and they compliment you in the doom documentary too now I was a big fan of the comic book, uh, yeah, especially, yeah, the 60s one. And and don't you think things should have been a little bigger, right? Broader shoulders, stockier, thighs, huger. What, what was the thing costume like in real life? Like, did it look cool? It looked um, Well, it was weird because the actor who played Ben Grimm was taller than the actor who was in the thing costume. Yeah, yeah. But the thing costume in real life actually looked pretty good. Like, like the... Um, Optic Nerve Studios was the studio that that did you know the practical effects on on the film, and they really put their heart and soul in it. I mean, yeah. soul into it. I mean, for them, I'm mean, sure they didn't make any money. I mean, like I know they were paid, but at the end, I guarantee they didn't really make weren't weren't paid what, what you know the time that was put into it. And I think that they looked at on it as like, well, this is going to be this is for us going to be stone. like a portfolio piece, right? Like. And they really, really just put a lot of effort in that costume. They tried to make it accurate to the Kirby comics. And I, I would say that it's more accurate than the, you know, other Fantastic Four film that came out later. And then the one that came out, you know, more recently, uh, directed by Josh Trank. I mean, like, those are just sort of weird interpretations. Theirs is the most accurate to the comic book. With and the, to the comic book is, Yeah, the, the brow and everything. Like, they got that right. It, it, it moved, you know, and, certain places and so you know it's a lot of it is how you photograph it. but 
I actually thought that was one of the things that worked out really well with it was that costume, the way that that character was portrayed. Now that guy was Carl Cafalio and he was a huge stuntman. He went on to so much work and did so much work before it. But he reports that the suit was the hottest thing he's ever worn. Did you see him struggle with it? Oh yeah, oh, 100%. He, he had problems with it, right? Like it was, you know, I mean, you sign up to be a monster in a costume. That's yeah. what you're going to be. Right? You should know what you're getting into, right? Yeah, you're the yeah. thing. Now, they report there was no rehearsal. They just started rolling. There was more like about blocking. Did you see, what, did you have an impression like, uh, this is a little rinky dink here? I mean, I think when you look at it on screen, I think it came out okay. I think some of the acting was strong. Yeah, like if it was, if it was a movie that was made for television, I think that it would like, oh, this is pretty decent. You know, they, they tried to remain faithful to the comic and faithful to the characters as they were, you know, portrayed in the comic book. I'm fearful that this, they keep talking about a new Fantastic Four movie. I think, I think based on sort of the direction that Marvel's going, I think it'll be pretty awful. Uh, mm-hmm. I really don't have a lot of faith in it, but this is, this was, but if this were a movie to be released in theaters, I think it would be kind of lackluster. I mean, you know, Johnny Storm doesn't really even turn into fully the Human Torch until the very end of the movie. Right. One sort of last shot that was very early digital, like before digital effects were really a thing, right? I think it looked okay. It was fine for the time, there just wasn't enough of it. And and I think they knew that. You could tell from the script that it was kind of anemic, like they were writing around having to do special effects, right? So um, that was sort of a, that was a red flag right there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also, um, I heard that Stan Lee was on the set. Did you meet him? What was his yes. attitude like? Was he? Yes, I, he, I mean Stan is. I mean, you know, if there's something going on, Stan Lee's gonna gonna be there and be a part of it. So yeah, he was on the set, but it was more just a glad hand, and yeah. I think that gave people confidence too. Yeah, because, like it was you know, an endorsement. Yeah, it was definitely an endorsement, and I'm sure that Stan knew about the rights situation, that it was really about this German company holding on to the rights, uh, you know, so so what can you say? But, but you know, that was, this is pre, like, Marvel being Marvel, right? This yeah. is Stan Lee just, like, trying to get something going. I think Blade was really the first breakout of a Marvel character that was put on screen that was successful. I mean, there were, there were you know, there were television attempts that were yeah. pretty decent. There like was the Captain Hulk show. America on a bike, right? On a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah right. all know the Captain America movie, don't remind me. But then there was also like the television series. There was um, Spider-Man. You know, there was the Bill Bixby Hulk show yeah. with Luke Rigno. Yeah. That was fun. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the Hulk that we have now for Marvel. Right. But it was, hey, it was, it was a tragic, fun sort of, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story right and then there was the nicholas hammond spider-man show right in the 70s which nicholas hammond by the way has a cameo at the end of spider-man no way home oh oh he's hey. in it everyone talks about oh toby mcguire andrew garfield hey i noticed nicholas hammond was <laughs> in it so nicholas hammond is in the in at the very end of spider-man no way home uh uh you see they're in they're in the diner and you know Peter Parker goes to visit MJ and observes MJ talking to a patron at the donut shop, and that's Nicholas Hammond. Gotcha. No Nick- kidding. Nicholas Hammond also played the director 
who directed um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, we, so, Quentin Tarantino put him in there and he plays the director who directs the Western and he's kind of trying to coach, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's kind of so. naive. So uh, there was a uh, two-part Spider-Man, uh, uh, you know, on the television show that they stuck together and, and released in Europe as a, as a feature. Yeah, uh, we and we it. saw that on this show. That was a lot of fun, you know. Wow. Yeah, cheap. It was good. Now, was... I believe that Roger Corman had every intention to release this film. And it wasn't until he got the phone call from Avi the Marvel guy. That was the first second that he said, okay, we're not releasing this, right? Do, do you agree? Yeah, I think that the, I don't know that their intention was ever to release it. I think their intention was to shoot it. And, and that was it. I mean, obviously I got a bootleg copy of it years later yeah. but i also did a thing where we um we took the cast of the fantastic four like all four of them did a signing at the film threat booth in at san diego comic-con and it flooded the aisles i think we sold like two thousand issues of that comic a lot of people had already haven't had an issue of it and they signed every single one That's and great. uh the cast was great i think the year later that Comic-Con did a rule, like, we have to have an autograph area. We can't have people <laughs> clogging up the you aisles. You guys did that. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, um, that's no, no, it, oh, anyway, so that was, that was like a delight to like have them all there. And what was weird was just how enthusiastic those, those main actors were. You know, now, I saw that in that documentary that yeah. the enthusiasm of the crew, like they did everything. They promoted the hell out of that movie at every convention. They were the voice of that movie, and you know, a fan on their like own my, dime. Yeah, on their own dime, and like a fan like myself would get excited because there really is such a thing, and there's such enthusiasm to it. I mean, I was excited, you know, like I like I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would, you know, there'd be a Fantastic Four movie made. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, that's crazy. I so, remember reading the comics, uh, you know, at 11 years old, 10 years old, thinking they should make these into movies, you know? Why aren't they doing that, you know? Well, they had the cartoon well, show. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, there was the animated Fantastic Four cartoon. There were two of them, one in the 60s, which used the Human Torch, and then another one that came later. I, yeah. I think it was in the late 70s. Right. Where they had Herbie the Robot because they were afraid kids were going to light themselves on fire to feed oh. a Human Torch, which... I guarantee you Marvel is going to address that in some way. Like, they're trying to figure out how do we do the Fantastic Four and not, like, have kids light themselves Flame on fire. On. And then how do you make it practical? Like, okay, if he ignited himself on fire and was in the kitchen that I'm in right now, that would probably destroy and melt the kitchen. He could, You know what I mean? Like, yes. there's just sort of practical real-world things. Okay, if you're going to have these characters now exist in the real world, how do they... How does it work? Now, did Film Threat go on to do an article to cover the fact that Fantastic Four would not be released? Did you follow up? Well, the, we never did because we could we could never get any answers, right? Uh -huh. You know, we did that cover story, and I remember um, uh, I, I remember Tony Timpone from Bangoria Magazine called me out of the blue and said, "Ah, oh, you really scooped this on that one," because I been doing stories where because I was in Hollywood I could just go to the sets of these movies and we covered Carnosaur and you know we just we're getting access to like low budget indie movies which is kind of 
film threats bread and butter. I mean, we cover independent film, right? So, I mean, Roger Corman is an independent filmmaker. Yeah. And they but, went to Troma, too, uh, at first. Troma said no, right? I mean, the documentary taught me that. Right, right. So, so uh, you know, but we didn't know. I mean, we just did the story, and I wanted to be very comprehensive. I grew up reading Cinefantastic magazine and Starlog and, and uh, you know, Fangoria. And, and I read all those magazines as a kid. I was, I was a magazine junkie. At, a, at you know at the time at, in that era and i think at one point i had 50 magazine subscriptions this is really? before the internet yeah yeah, yeah. before That's the internet right. and just so people who may not know magazines are like the internet but on really thin slices of wood and yeah. you can read them <laughs> That's a good way to well, say you, it. you know this podcast exists. Exact for, yeah we, we we're doing this podcast because i used to read psychotronic yeah. video all the time yeah and i love like that video. yeah i love it and I would I say, oh, my Batman God, magazine that I, I, and then just like there were so many great ones at the time. And I just wanted to be film threat sort of had its own niche, which was indie film. Right. That was our that was what we focused on. And sometimes that crossed over into genre stuff. So um, certainly a lot of you know low budget underground films were horror, sci fi, etc. So. So, yeah, I, I you know, like I just think that there was never a final word. Right. Like they said you know, oh, it's on hold or it's this or whatever. And then, you know, it just sort of got forgotten. It mm -hmm. became like a lost film. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mike used to read these magazines, but he couldn't go see the film. He was young. He's not going down to the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. So that's why right. we have this show today, because they're all on YouTube now. They're all on YouTube. Everything I read in Psychotronic, oh, wow. everything I read in my film books. And I had to take the really? film books. Yeah, well, because, you know, Fantastic Four, I read about it in Film Threat. I, I you know, and that was it. So I just wow. had a base. So thanks to YouTube, the great yeah. equalizer, I can just finally watch it. And then. Wow, that's just, great. Yeah. Now, what was George Gaines doing on set? I mean, we're talking Punky Brewster. We're talking uh, Police Academy. Did they know they had a star here? Why didn't yeah, they Yeah, he was the biggest them? name. Oh, uh, I don't know. that. I don't know. <laughs> were you there to see George Gaines? No, I'm not sure if I met, met him on set. And I probably would not know. I mean, I wasn't, like, even at the time, like, and I don't, I tend to not watch mainstream television of any kind. Like, uh, you know, people tell me constantly about the Big Bang Theory yeah. and stuff. And, like, I hate, I, I think I've watched that show and I, I'm not, not a fan. So when it comes to, like, mainstream anything, I'm pretty blissfully unaware. So <laughs> I wouldn't have even known who he was anyways because I've never seen an episode of Punky Brewster. Were you there the day that they shot the classroom scene, which in, in the beginning, when he's sitting next to Ben Grimm? Um, I don't think I was there. Okay, that. okay, because that was his big moment. That was his big know. moment. Yeah, yeah. I just think they should have used him. He was a big star. He could have been the Alfred the Butler to them or something. I don't know. They should have squeezed it in. Yeah. Okay, so, Chris, now, everyone at home is poised to watch this film at the exact same time as we do here in the studio. They're all going to press play together. So why don't you go ahead and give us that celebrity countdown? Wait, wait, really? How, where yeah. am I counting down from? Three. Three. Okay, Three, two, one, right. go. But it's got to be pace. And so we, we everyone, should... Why don't we go from four, three, two, one? Because of Fantastic Four? Yeah. There you go. Okay. All right, so we're going to watch. we're going to watch the Fantastic Four classic Roger Corman movie. And here we go. We're going to count down from four, three, 
two, one, play. All right, very excited. Thank you for that celebrity comedian countdown. Where the celebrity New Horizons? That of course is right. Uh, We're about to watch Munchies, right? We'd have lost a few New Horizon videos, straight to video. Uh, this wasn't even straight to video. No, it wasn't bootleg. released at all. You see how this they whoever put this up here for us stuck snuck in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in 1994, that was no such thing. If you don't know anything about this movie and you see that in the beginning, you're all right, ready to go, right? All right, yeah. Hey, man, I watched, I watched 26 movies that get one storyline. I missed the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe movie. got to watch it. Well, this is some trippy special effects already. Uh, did you hear the music? Did I? Well, I guess so. I mean, the people who wrote the music spent $6,000 of their own money to hire an orchestra. And we learned that from the documentary about this film. We should mention the documentary is, is almost as fun as the movie. It's called um, Doomed. Doomed. Which is the true story of this film where all the actors you see here in the opening credits, uh, Rebecca Stab takes a stab at it. Stab. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bailey Smith took a smith at it. <laughs> He did. He, uh, oh, oh he was Ian Trigger. Yeah, he was Triggered. Ian Trigger. So, um, yeah, it's okay. It's just a documentary about how this film didn't get released, you know, and we'll talk all about it, you know, and you've seen it, and so have I. I have. I, I, I have not seen it recently. I forgot George Gaines is in it. But. Yeah, no, George Gaines is from Police Academy movies. At least that's how yeah. you know him and love him. Oh, 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 uh, and uh, Pucky Brewster's father. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and, and, and the guy from Victor Victoria. Okay. Uh, yeah, Pucky oh, Brewster. Do, do go on, do go on. He was Henry Warnamount in Punky Brewster. He was command Commandant Eric Lassard in Police Academy. And he retired from acting at the age of 86. It was 2003. Um, and he passed away. He was old when he passed away. Yeah, no, you know, he spoke many languages. He, he spoke Russian. Seven languages. That's right. He he was actually born in in a country that I didn't write it down because I didn't think we would be focusing on this guy. So. He was born in a country in Eastern Europe that was part under the Soviet Union at the time. Why would we focus our, ourselves on Punky Brewster's father? He's like the only star in this movie. Yeah, he's the only one. That's right. Uh, there's the director. God bless. Oli. Oli. Oli was a music video director, and this was a big, big deal for him uh, because he was going to – oh, there he is, George Gaines. George Gaines up front. Get the star up front like Bruce Willis. And then the last three minutes he shows up. Yeah. No, except he's going away even from this, right? Oh, he's done after this. Bring me Tackleberry. <laughs> punky, oh, Punky. Oh, Punky. All this scene is showing us is Reed Richards is really smart, and he's friends with Ben Grimm, who wouldn't be in the same class with him. He doesn't have his brains at all. So you're talking about Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, that big, 
do doofus from Yancey Street or whatever, a Clancy Street or well, that was the gang that used to tease him. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, he has a lot of troubles. That Ben Grimm. Yeah, he's, like, he's literally a monster. Oh, he was very grim, and he was literally a monster. Now, what we're learning now is Colossus is coming. Colossus is coming now. Nothing goes faster than the speed of light, except for Colossus, which is a comet-like energy source. It is radioactive, and every 10 years it passes Earth, okay? Uh -huh. But um, it's going to be the closest that it's ever been to Earth tonight. So we, Colossus is like a comet or something, like a yeah, meteor? Yeah, a ball of energy. It's it nothing comes... to do with Galactus. Right, it has nothing to do with Galactus. Colossus. And it is it is not a comet. It's like energy, like a ball of energy. And it's all whammy jammy radioactive and it's zapping in the insides and stuff, you know. And they there's Victor Von Doom yeah. on the left talking uh -huh. with Reed Richards about their plans tonight to harness the energy from Colossus. Oh, okay. I was going to go on a date with Sue Storm, Richard, but I'll, I'll be glad to do your project tonight. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Wait till you meet Sue Storm. She's just a little girl, and you're going to be like, this is creepy. Well, is she a college student? Nope. She's a little girl. She's like nine. Or maybe she's like 12. She's got to be like 12 or 14. You'll see. How old is her brother, Johnny Storm? Like seven or eight, from the looks of him. Wait a minute. They have well, kids. I mean, this, is, this is the or okay. See these two goofs. Yeah, they're like goons for Victor already. Like Victor is already like a monarch back home. Right. That's right. So it's kind of weird. We don't know. Oh, there she is. There that's she Steve is. Storm. I can't see Steve Storm. Oh, there she is. She's invisible. She's <laughs> an invisible Ooh. woman. Oh, there's Johnny. Hothead. He's a hothead. Oh, he's playing that video game that looks like a cartoon. Right. The really real, right? Yeah. Look at look at it's drawn. It's a drawn cartoon. They're getting epilepsy. I'm getting epilepsy. <laughs> so that's Ben Grimm, and I guess he's friends with Johnny and uh, Sue. Oh, he likes to hang out with the seven, eight-year-old boy. I guess yes. Oh, but it's her boarding house, so I guess he's he's a he lives there. Yeah. And here's Reed Richards, and Sue has a crush on Reed Richards. Oh, he's dreamy. They weren't married in the sixties, right? They got married later. No, they were married in the sixties. Look at the kiss, right? She goes, oh, my, she touches her cheek. He's got a little girl crush on him. Oh. But they're married, right? <laughs> Not <laughs> yet. <laughs> Oh, so she's going to be like, sure, Victor, I would love to go on a date. And then Reed's like, oh. Reed would be like, that is inappropriate. That's uh -uh. a little girl. Victor Von he Doom. Says, like, he's dreamy. And then Johnny goes, you're gross. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Why did I get the girl? How come everything goes wrong for a guy named Von Doom? <laughs> Do you think the Fantastic Four is interesting? Okay, so um, when I was 10, 11 years old, um, I would collect comic books. And, yeah, I loved the Fantastic Four. I had them all. Jack Kirby, he was really – his art brought it to life. You were, it felt like you were watching a movie as you read the comic. 
Right. Yeah. Well, everything's so square and mirrored and right. shaped. Yeah. It's all it's stylized, and he, you know, he's got a theme going on. He's sharp edges and creases. You know, he he does a lot of shading. It's jagged and you know, like yeah. he would extend the finger out in the drawings, and the knuckles would be all like like it was a skeleton almost. Well, he was always fun, like in outer space. His cartoons would always have like just weird things in the background and foreground. And given a chance to do a page, two page spread or one page spread, stuff's kind of all out there. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. But the, the idea of this family just being superheroes. Yeah, well, they're not a family. Well, I guess you've got a husband, you've got spouses and a right. brother, and then a good friend. They certainly right. become a family. That's right. Ben Grimm is not related. Here's Colossus. It's the laserium, right? Right. Can you imagine, like, a ball of energy is passing, and it's like a lightning. Okay, that's the thing. They're going to suck it up, and they're going to get the whammy jammy. You'll see. Oh, so, so they're already planning to harvest it. Yeah, that's right, because it's coming tonight, and it's the closest they'll ever be to Earth. Only comes around once every 10 years. Right, well, they could come back in another 10 years. Oh, yeah, but they don't want to. It's here. They've got the equipment. they got the tools. they got the power. They're gonna so this, this movie reminds me a lot like My Science Project with this, uh, Dennis Hopper, who had, like, balls of energy and also electrical devices like this. Don't remember. I do remember that film. You like Parker? Who was it? Oh, Parker wait a Fisher? second. I was thinking. Oh, I was thinking of a different one. You mean the one we saw? Yeah, with this? Fisher Stevens. Yeah. Now, look, Fisher Stevens. What's happening uh, is it's it, it, their calculations weren't right, and it's too hot. They can't harness the energy. It's more like it's like imagine if you wanted to capture electricity, but instead it like heats up your whole. You know, you you don't have the capacitors for it. So to get in the whammy jammy. Now Reed is like, let's get out of here. But Doom is like, I will not fail! And so he gets bazapped. See? Right. Are they not going into outer space and get hit by gamma rays and, and come back all weird? That's, it's, well, that's coming. Oh, all right. So what's happening here on Earth? Like, Doom gets hurt first? Yeah, they're grad students. They tried to harness Colossus energy. Doom was not being smart about it. Now, look, Ben Grimm just pushed him out of right. the yeah, yeah. jammy. It was just great because the poor animators had to like, draw in the, the lightning <laughs> 24 frames a second. Look at his hair. Oh, he must be injured. Well, yeah. They couldn't afford hairspray by that point. Yeah, not on this budget. It was either $1 million or $1.5 million. <clears throat> well, I think that um, uh, Constantini film, okay, Brend Eckhart, I'll say his name right in a minute. Constantini okay. film, like said, I'll give you $750,000. Foreman said he would put in $750,000. So that's a million and a half. But then other times <clears throat> in the Doom documentary on the internet, it says that the budget was $1 million. So that's it. Either the budget is <clears throat> one million or one and a half. Now look, this is Doom's henchman dressed up as a doctor saying, Victor's dead. Really? 
The so, long-lived doctor. Right. Now, look at the, the shifty eyes when they get on the elevator. The director did that so that we know that something's up. Right. Oh, yeah, this is not your ordinary elevator ride. <laughs> Here it comes now. Look, they look right. at each other. Uh-huh. We fooled uh -huh. them. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's the comedy duo of Hedgeman and Doctor. That's there is doc some of that on, on in here. There's a character called the jewel Jeweler. He was supposed to be the Mole Man, because that was a Fantastic Four. Sure, he was in the first issue of Fantastic Four. Maybe you're right. I, th I think you're right about that. Remember there was like some kind of monster breaking out of the sidewalk? In the right. Yeah. On the cover, yeah. Yeah. I don't like know a, the first one because the first one was the origin story, but but you might be right. Okay, now they're like, we must save the monarch. Now, why are they concealing his death? Why aren't they using the real doctors to help him? This it doesn't make sense in the real world why they would why would they want Reed Richards to think he's dead? Why? Ten years later. Ten, Ten years later. The Baxter building. Oh yeah, right. Wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. How did that Baxter building come? Whatever, 10 years later. 10 years later, they're looking at a rocket to go into outer space. And Reed Richards, who's graying, now he's graying. Sure, he's got to get that, that classic Reed Richards look. He's talking to Ben Grimm going, you promised to be the pilot if I ever got this whammy jammy machine in the air. Do you think that that Pixar movie ripped off Fantastic Four? No. Incredibles? Nope. Nope. <laughs> But they're a family, and there's four of them, and they're superheroes. That's mom, dad, and two kids. That's not what we got here. Besides, they just ripped off comic books. Right. But you, do you know the story that DC created their own Fantastic Four called the oh. Terrifics? They figured, like, because Fantastic Four, for some reason, like, they just stopped making – it was, wasn't their property, right? It was a Fox property. It was Sony. And uh, it was Fox, I think. And Fox was making these movies, or whoever was making these movies, Sony or what have you. It wasn't Marvel, Disney. Mm -hmm. And what I always heard was that the Marvel comics just didn't even bother with Fantastic Four because they weren't making money off of the movies or anything like that. So the actual comic wasn't around for a bit. It's back. There's a very elaborate storyline with uh, uh, Reed and Susan's kids, uh, uh -huh. Valeria and uh, Franklin. And Franklin's like a super genius. He becomes the next Watcher. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Boy, he, he gave birth to something that was a kid who was going to go places. Yeah, right, right, right. But I always felt bad watching these uh, Marvel Disney movies where uh, the smartest scientist is we is no Tony Stark, and the, the richest scientist is, well, the Wasp guy. But you know what I mean? Like, they never uh, – Reed Richards. Reed Richards has the money and the technology. Reed Richards right. should be building the Spider-Man. It's Reed Richards. Instead of um, Tony Stark. Tony Stark, right, yeah. yeah. Well, that would have been a much, much better uh, – that would have made a lot more sense, and they wouldn't have had to – I don't know. They wrecked up Spider-Man's – okay, wait. i got to stop. Look, okay. this is her. Now she's not 14. Okay, I guess she's 24 now. Right, 10 years later. So that would make him, let's see, if he's a grad student, he had to be over 22. He's in his <laughs> so 30s. He's like, yeah, he's like 36 or something to her 24. So he, 
Okay, this makes no sense again in the real world. Ben Grimm is like, if I'm going to pilot. No, he doesn't even say that. They just show up at their house to get these two kids to be their team they're in the rocket ship. Yeah, go, why not? Well, he says they're not astrophysicists, and then Ben Grimm says they know more about this project than anyone alive. But don't you think it's a big coincidence that the monarch who gets his face disfigured and becomes Doctor Doom happens to be the best friend of the guy who started Fantastic Four? I mean, all oh, this is crap. It's like an origin story to me. Yeah, how about this? You one thing happens somewhere, one thing happens somewhere else, and maybe they meet. It's what a coincidence. It's like, wow, your best friend is Lex Luthor. <laughs> what a coincidence. He's this trying to stop you. This looks like Men in Black, I think. Men in White. The building, the building. Oh, the building. Now, you... about to meet the mole, who is not the mole. He's the jeweler. Okay. What is he popping his head? Yes, he is out of the sewer pipe. He looks like the... But the thing is, <clears throat> I think the mole in the films was solitary, right? He didn't have minions, did he? I think he had minions, including oh. that big monster from the cover. Yeah. Kinda... Um... You know, I get the mole man mixed up with the mole from that magazine, the guy who kind of like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the big nose, that ugly yeah. Okay, so Ben Grimm has just clumsily knocked into some lady who's dropped her. <clears throat> Is she because it's what's her name? Allison? His, his love of his life? Great guess. It's Alicia. Alicia. Yeah, you know exactly who it is. So now they're going to meet each other, and then Ben Grimm's going to be like, I'm in love. Now, this is acting. Because she's blind, she's got to feel Ben's face. Now, she got this job. She went to the audition, and there were all these, you know, she was a stage actress, and there were all these, like, beautiful models there, and she's like, I'm the way I'm getting this. And when they had her do a very emotional scene, and she did it, and they're like, wow, you can really act. So she figured out all these models. I mean, yeah. they're eye candy. She got the jump. You know, you don't want her to be eye candy. It's it's such a ridiculous thing, anyway. Like the, the point is, like in the seventies, at least she was blind, and right. that's why she loved the thing because the th and the, the thing felt that because right. she the deformity, see, right, right. But the thing felt it. Like she she never really had that issue because she obviously knew she was dating the thing. She could right. feel that she was hugging a rock. Right. It's not like, oh, I can't see your face. I can't tell you're a giant rock band. Now, look, see the mole? Yes. He's taking a liking to our Alicia. Oh, this is complicated. So much so that he wants her to be his queen. Oh, the jeweler queen, of course. Ridiculous. Of course. That makes no sense. It's, you've talked about this before, how, like, the world is its own little universe, and you were just saying, before, oh, it just coincidentally, Dr. Doom gets burned by the, you know, oh, you're right. Lex Luthor's boyhood friend. Oh, what a coincidence. <clears throat> Here's That's our good. goons again ten years later. They're looking good. They must have some good goon insurance. <laughs> That's right. It could be they're looking good because really it wasn't 10 years later. It was like the next day of filming. This took 25 days to shoot. But they never released this movie. That's right. We, you know, anytime you want the history of this movie, and we talked about it the first year of our show when we watched it, 
and it's in the documentary, which makes it so fascinating. The story of this movie is, the movie is good, but the story is even better, you know? And I have to give credit to the movie that the movie is entertaining on its own, but... Yeah, without the backstory. Yeah. Now, this crystal here, remember I told you like, there was too much energy from Colossus, and it right. started frying the circuits and gave them, the, you know, so that's why they got the whammy jammy. Well, now they've got anti-whammy jammy crystals. All the power will go into the crystal and then be distributed out to the machinery, and it will have cooled. Colossus will have cooled, and they can harness the energy. The old anti-whammy jammy gun. Uh, a crystal, excuse me, crystal. Right uh, now. Well, they're going to cut it with fentanyl and sell it for toys. Uh, <laughs> Look at that big, like, close-up of a stop sign, of a right. traffic light. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon called. He wants his bat signal bat. <laughs> and the logo. So this um, burned Eichiger. Do I say it right? Burned Eichiger, right? He went to – he worked for Constantini Films, and he was a big wig over there. And he went to Stan Lee and was like, you know, in 80 – what is it? 80 – it's not in front of me right now, but it was in the 80s. And he said, we would like to make Fantastic Four. Now, back then, there was the Hulk on TV. You know what I mean? There was that right. Spider-Man. Like, they weren't making blockbuster movies. We watched the – we. We watched uh, the Spider-Man TV show was repurposed into a theatrically released European movie. Yeah. We watched that version. Uh, Howard the Duck is a famous bad movie. That's always considered the first Marvel movie uh, made. Uh, it's terrible, but it, it's on YouTube too. Did uh, you already watch it in your past life? Did you uh, already yeah. see it show? None of the show we haven't done. My YouTube stopped, Carl. Okay. So I should pause. I think there was like a power outage. I'm at uh, 2203. Okay, hang on. Yeah, there was just a, an outage. The light went out. And TV went out. Maybe it's not. I have the window open behind me. There was a cat sticking its head in the window. Really? Not your cat? No, my cat. My cat was. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm at 2203. What about you? I'm waiting to. I'm rebooting up my. Oh, okay. I'm gonna pause. What happened? Oh, and I'll press go. Three, two. Okay, 2303. Three, 2203 for those editing at home, Carl. 2203. Three, two, one, go. So the collector is coming up to Ben Grimm's girlfriend, who's not his girlfriend yet. Well, the mole man guy, the jeweler. The jeweler. It's so interesting. I like when, when superhero movies come up with their own hero. <laughs> right? They're like, fuck it. Sure, I can do uh, Wonder Woman's friend, uh, villains. Or I'll just come up with my own. What the hell? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. We're already shooting. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have the rights to this, just Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom. They didn't have the Mole Man. In 1986, they spent $250,000. They gave it to Marvel and got the rights to this. But then it was scheduled to expire at the last second of 1992, December 31. 
They wouldn't give them an extension because they got some interest now in bigger. So the only way he could keep the rights, Constantini films, was to start going into production of the movie. Okay, then that they they had you know they it didn't expire because they were in production. So so then he called on Troma Films first. And had a lot of discussions with them, but Troma didn't want to touch it because the Fantastic Four is beloved, and to make a movie movie of it, it wasn't going to be celebrated. You know, comic people were going to hate it. He thought. Now, hang on a second. When you say he thought, you're talking about Lloyd Kaufman, head of Troma Films, on right. the documentary, saying, taking a deep breath of fresh air before speaking, and mm -hmm. sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Right? Yeah. Am I right? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, too bad Troma didn't make a Fantastic Four. I would definitely watch that as well. I probably won't. If it's Troma, I probably won't be able to make it through it. <laughs> we only saw one Troma film. We watched Troma's War, right, which right. is an all-on assault, which, by the way, boy, my sides are still hurting from laughing that hard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mole Man has snuck into their ship and he took the real crystal and he gave him the fake one. Because he because wants the real one. Look at him jumping through the lasers. Who's he looking at? Dr. Doom is watching. Yeah, because Dr. Doom was going to... Take the crystal? Right, and then this guy just did it. So he's, Doom is like, ha-ha, thank you for doing the job for me. We'll just now get it from you. It's very hard for me to sift through this as a Cool Keith fan and not think of Cool Keith's Dr. Doom's album, which is, has four O's in it, or like five O's, Dr. Doom, including the classic song, Dr. Doom is in the room. <laughs> Dr. Doom is in the room. Is that what, was that gloom? No, okay, here we are. Wow, they must have spent their entire budget on this. Right, on buying the stock footage from NASA. Right. Good news, I got stock footage from NASA. Bad news, it's the Space Shuttle Challenger. Good night, people. Now, Corman was the next one he called, or maybe they talked at the same time, I don't know. <clears throat> Corman was like, hell yeah, we'll do it. A million dollars? No problem. No problem. I really think that Corman and... Uh, Carpalipolo? Burned... Really, we're going to release this thing. They just they had to make it, you know. I kind of don't know what's in Burned, Burned's mind, you know. But Corman was going to release it. It was going to be a film that he thought was going to go to theater. But in actuality, they just needed something in production so legally they can keep the rights to Fantastic Four. Yeah, you see this burned Echiger. He's the same guy who made the real ones, Mike. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he must have, so he succeeded. He was able to hold on to the, the uh, Yeah, and he did Fantastic Four, and he did the Rise of the Silver Surfer. Right, which, to be credit to you, are both terrible movies. This is yeah, so much absolutely. better. Well, I don't know that this is better. This is old-fashioned, corny, go, let's go to space yeah. with the special now look, effects. Well, that was the comic book. Now, look, the crystal is bullshit, so they're going to, again, get the whammy-jammy, just like Victor. How did the jeweler find a gem that looked exactly like the gem? <laughs> and if he found it, why couldn't he find the, uh, the real gem, the other half of it? I don't know. 
this is what I would say it doesn't make sense in the real world. But since you said it, I have the urge to go, hey, it's a movie. You got to forgive it a couple. No, you're right. It's bullshit. Look, there's the whammy jammy in action. See those colors? It's like right. 1964, 65. Oh, this is before 2001 came out in 68? <laughs> yeah, right. Look at this. That's another like 60 psychedelia. Like the whammy jammy's really fucking with them. Now, was it the same gamma rays that the Hulk got on Earth? Well, yeah, in space, it was gamma rays in the comic book. Right. And gamma rays, pretty much everything. You know, the spider, the spider on Spider-Man was just radioactive, okay? It, it was a gamma rays? No, it wasn't a gamma <laughs> But it got Bruce Banner belted by gamma rays, turned right. to the Hulk. What about the Fantastic Four theme yep. song? Look at that. They're dead. Fantastic hey. Four died. And Doom's going, ah, 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 How can he watch that? Where is he watching that? Because from his on... own room. Ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. And he would have a camera inside of Reed Richards' spaceship and see the mole guy. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. He had a satellite follow the spaceship, so the satellite fed the video yeah. to Doom's post-circuit television set right in the throne room. Which was not at the same angle as the throne. It was very obnoxious watching the TV because you had it like turned like this. Yeah. It was very uncomfortable. There was no TV in front of him when you see him on the throne. No, it's on the side. So you have to actually sit like this on the throne and, or, oh. or, or get out of the – like what's the point of having a throne if it's not facing the TV? <laughs> I'm the king of the castle, Alex. I'm the king. Turn my throne towards the TV, young lady. Ralph. We can only fit the flat of TV set on this side of the of our apartment, Ralph. The other side is the fire escape. Oh, uh, Norton, why'd you give me this widescreen TV? <laughs> I wanted one right on the right on the dresser here in the kitchen. You know, yeah, the dresser wrong. right here in the kitchen. You walk in the house and there's a dresser. It's outrageous. Now you know that I know that you know that a TV set could fit right on the dresser. I liked my vacuum tube. Black and white TV. Oh. Okay, so they've crashed, right? But look at the ship. It's all fucked up, but they're perfectly fine. Actually, his hair is even better. I think they got a haircut for the, uh, for the accident. It looks like he's, his hair makes him look like he already burst into flames. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. He's Johnny Storm. Now, come on. Like, these superheroes are ridiculous. What are you going to do? Walk around the streets of New York on fire? Flame on! Like, what? All of Manhattan is covered with spider webs and then flame. <laughs> oh, let's go. It's a cross town. No problem. Now, in one of the Avengers movies, it, like, talks about that, like, how innocent people get killed and, you know, because sure. the Avengers roll into town and fucking fight some robot and everybody, you know. Oh, Ultron fucked up some fictitious country, right? Yep, yep. yep. Where we this from? Into space. Yeah, that's some bullshit. Uh, Ultron. Ultron. There was a whole civil war based on that. Nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, so now it's like Sue is invisible. And they're Whoa. like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Oh, there's this. Ha uh, uh, ha! I'm the better sibling. 
So this woman was the con costume designer, or is it a band? And the name is Raviv Richard. Isn't that funny? Like, it's, yeah. it's not Reed Richard. Okay, so in 93, he went to a place called Golden Apple Comics, a store on Melrose right. Avenue. Right down the street. And he went to buy Fantastic Four comic books for research. And I don't know, he's buying them and talking or whatever. And so he's he explained that he was the costume designer for this new thing. He's got to do the research. So, like, they all swarmed him. And we're like, are you going to do justice to this? He goes, well, that's why I'm buying the comic. Yeah, I'm reading up on it. I I'm need a... Reeve Richards. I'm do you Reeve have Richards. any Marvel comics, my good Mar sir? Marvel. I'm looking for comics of the detective sort. Would you please? I'm making a movie based on the Fantastic Four. What's your budget? Oh, money is an object. <laughs> yeah, money's no yeah. object. Nobody is an object. Okay, so they're kind of stranded here, and they're going to go through a lot of stuff. But I just want to explain something before it happens. An army's going to show up, but you got to know that they're a fake army. They're really Dr. Doom's, I don't know. Did they land they, in Doomlandia? They didn't land in Doomlandia. They land, I don't know where they landed, but they got found by Doom first, so he pretended the military found. Well, because, I mean, if, if Jeff Bezos sent the rocket out in space, <laughs> you know the police will be there when it crashes. <laughs> they got it in for him. Fantastic Four is such a terrible live-action idea. You got a man on fire, then you got a guy who looks like I took my crayons when I was six and I drew a big rock monster. <laughs> right? Like... This movie has no budget, so I'm going to give it a hard pass on whatever the thing's going to look like in this film, right? <laughs> but I've seen the Fantastic Four movie in the sequel. Michael yeah. Chiklis looks ridiculously mm -hmm. stupid in that green outfit. And then, have you seen the last Fantastic Four yeah, movie? Yeah, the, the Silver Server. No, no, no. After that, there was a, a reboot remake. I'll have to watch it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> or no, I shouldn't have to watch it. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah, you definitely want to get the DVD for Netflix of that one. <laughs> well, if I can't stream it anywhere. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know, check the dumpster. Have you checked, like, uh, not Redbox, but Dumpster Fire? They might have it. It's terrible. It's really lethargic. It's just boring. Oh, the only interesting thing in that movie, well, Michael B. Jordan's in it. And uh, he's Johnny Storm. Oh, yeah. Michael B. Jordan? I, I mean, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I saw yeah. it. Yeah, you saw it. It didn't suck. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. It didn't suck. Um, way down in Louisiana, close to New what's his name? What's his name? Michael B. Moore. What's his name? Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Way down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans. Up into the woods in the evergreens. Lit up the country boy who never could read so good. You know the song. Jordan Michael, Michael Jordan be good. <laughs> Johnny be good, yes. Jordan uh -huh. be good. Let me try that at the open mic. I got to write it. Okay. Hey, well, that's, I wish you best of luck. <laughs> Jordan be good. Johnny be good. All right. Michael B. Jordan. Okay. So there was this guy at Marvel, his name was Avi something, who I just know that's an Israeli name, 
and he was going to, you know, make the big uh, budget Fantastic Four with Eichinger. And so he was the one who called up Roger Corman and said, look, I will pay you a million dollars. You just stop. Don't release the film. Cut everything off. And so Corman said, okay. And he explained why. I was gonna, I'm going to make a big budget. I can't have this dirtying the wall, polluting the waters. It would, I, would you feel that way if this came out? Uh, no, I think it would have been fun to come out. I think this was the time. Look how she's getting so passionate. She's rubbing the clay on her lip. Right. Now she's going to get abducted and stolen by the minions of the Molbad. Is the Molbad has minions? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, headsman and minions. The jeweler. I don't know. This jeweler, it's unimpressive as credits. He's an English actor. Um, stage and television. Successful career in the States. Uh, West End on Broadway across America. He appeared in the U.S. as Young Victor Company. I, I guess he, he was a... He was in some movies. He was... In a TV movie, Alice Through the Looking Glass, he was in Joseph and the Amazing Tele uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat. I don't know. He's got some chops. But this is a delivery person, and we're having flirting. Yeah, yeah. It's really but it's kinda... one-sided. Well, so the, the movie, were, the other movie, the last one was Josh Trank directed it. But what I always amazed me about it, and I'm looking for, is that uh, Sue Storm and then I guess the dad, like uh, Dr. Frank Franklin Storm, uh, they were both in House of Cards. And I was like, wow, I just sat through House of Cards and two of the actors are in it. I got that feeling like we have premium cable and then you watch like a show that's only on premium cable. And they show up in a movie. You go, oh, that's those guys from that premium cable show I paid to watch. <laughs> What am I? Oh, what a ripoff this movie is. Now that's it's the Sue Storm one you saw, right? Yeah. yeah. She is a she was like a Ford agency model or something, but she got onto Guiding Light and her career took off. I mean, she was on Beverly Hills, nine hundred one two zero, and Seinfeld and Starman and Greg. The Sue Storm in which movie? Desperate Housewives in this movie that we're watching oh, now. Perfect. Well, that's oh, one thing yeah. I really liked about the documentary is that they gave the actors ample time to talk about this because they yeah. were being led on and they were encouraging them to go to these conventions and lead on their fans. No, and, I don't. Th I don't think so. I, I think that Roger Corman thought it was going to release. Right, but okay, I, sure. So Roger Corman. Okay, after they made the film, the post production kind of remember yeah. it halted, and I think maybe why would Corman do that? But there was a point where they were, I mean, maybe they were really, they really did feel this movie was coming out and they yeah. went to these conventions and, uh, you know, was no notorious, which I really liked from the documentary. And I mentioned this the first time around was that it was on the cover of a magazine. I would go to like Tower Records and buy back in the day cool. film threat. And it was on the cover of film threat magazine, the fantastic four Roger Corman production. And it was the only magazine that was covering it. And it gave that it credibility. That guy was there the whole shooting, remember? He said he was there because he was really a fan. Right. The, the the publisher of Film Thread was given access. So he was like the voice 
telling. This is, of course, before the internet, but it, you know, yeah. it was like you would read about it in Film Threat magazine. So you would get your news from Film Threat. It legitimized this. Somebody along the line knew that this would not be released uh, ultimately. And well, but- that that thing came out right at the. Remember, he was there for the whole filming. I think. I think that everyone thought it was going to be theatrical release, even Roger Corman at that point. Right. And don't forget, Carnosaur around that time came out as a theatrical release. You know, his films were theatrically released. Yeah, you know what's funny is is what we're seeing right now, a lot of it is um, recycled Carnosaur sets. Really? Yeah. That was in the documentary you saw. Oh, my God. Well, we also watched Carnosaur. Yeah. L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, what a disgusting. So it wasn't it just was the carnivore film. Yeah, it wasn't just carnivores on the loose. Diane Lamb figured a way to make women get impregnated by carnivores. Yeah, just by getting the virus. Yeah, you know, the the DNA was in you. I mean, after I saw that film, my carna was sore. Oh man, talk about a carnivore. Oof. Okay, now. They're like they all know they have powers now, except Ben Grimm is not a freak yet. Okay, so they all know they have powers now. Look, it looks like the army's showing up now. If this is really doom tricking them, that guy's American accent is excellent. He goes, "Begging your pardon, sir." I mean, it's excellent. You know, they taught him in Latvia how to do an American accent. Right, Latvia. Well, they got the flags and everything. Right, we're America. Hi, home. Oh, Homer, you look like Homer. Right. Hey, dude. Yeah. What are you, Bart? Now they say, "Oh no, fire at that ugly monster thing." There he is. I'm Ben Grimm. I'm oblivious that I'm a rock. Hey guys, boy, great to shake off those gamma rays. Whew! I tell you, I was drenching them. I've got your new nickname. It's Rocky. <laughs> Don't you dare call me Rocky. He's got <laughs> the teeth. That's what the Clancy Street gang should have done. He hated the Clancy Street gang. Yeah. They would throw bottles at him. Rocks. Okay, so there's an anatomic face, you know, helmet he's wearing. And and he like he's moving the mouth, but you see how the lip moves and stuff. Right, yeah. You saw it in the documentary, right? Right. It, it, it's all mechanical, and apparently they did a good job. It you really think it hurt the guy? It didn't hurt the guy, did it? No, I think he, the guy bitches about the not bitches. I mean, it's legitimate. It's a it's hot. Here it is. Uh, Claro found the suit to be the hottest fucking thing he ever wore. He was this guy's a big stunt man. It's not the same actor. The actor who plays Ben Grimm is oh, not right. who we're seeing on screen right now. Well, that's a relief, right? <laughs> you don't have to wear the suit. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll do anything my act. Okay, we well, gotta wear a suit. As uh, a matter of fact, they work together a lot. Like, what, how would you do it? Like, what are your mannerisms? Sure, that's yeah, they did. <laughs> You see that a lot sometimes, like Doom Patrol. They have a guy voiced by uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, Fraser. So it's like, wow, Brendan Fraser. But it, for most times, it's someone else, you know, acting. So here is a bunch of funny 
Wait, are you talking about Brendan Fraser? Curry oh, Doom, he's on Doom, Doom Patrol. He plays the voice of a robot. So it's a live-action guy in a robot suit, but it's the voice is him.